uh, you to bless others as well. So let's get into his presence and get blessed by him. John 15 is where you should be, and let's read together, and then we'll pray and ask God's guidance on today's time in the word, beginning in verse 21. But all these things they're going to do to you uh, for my name's sake, because they don't know him who sent me. Now, if I had not come and spoken to them, when he says them, he's speaking the world. If I hadn't just, you know, preached and taught and done the Sermon on the Mount, and if I hadn't spoken to these people, everyone, you, me, them, us, well, they would have no sin. Interesting. They have no sin. They have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. <laughs> that's you, that's me, that's them, that's us. No, no excuse. We know. We know now because the word of God has become flesh amongst us and God has given himself to us. Verse 23, it says this. He who hates me hates my father also. And if I had not done among them, he said, if I had not spoken to them. Now it's different. If I had not done among them the works, which no one else did. I've got that circled. Well, they would have no sin. And they'd have no sin? No, they'd just be their own God. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. Verse 25, but this happened, that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Verse 26, but when the Holy Spirit, or should I say, when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, well, he, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Verse 16, please get this when you walk out the door today, meditate on this. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. The Greek word for stumble is scandalizo, scandalizo. We get a word scandalized. I'm telling you all this so you don't leave church today, so you don't walk around getting scandalized by life. We know what a scandal does. It weakens our faith in something trips us up, our allegiance, somebody, some, somebody goes through a scandal and you just kind of step back from them a little bit. Like, I used to like that person, I used to like that, but now the scandal's kind of just got everyone up in arms. And Jesus says, I'm telling you this stuff right now so you don't get scandalized. I want you to freak out when life hits you in the face. I want you to think about that today. Verse two, he goes on to say, here's how it's gonna roll for you boys. Uh, they will put you out of the synagogue. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think uh, that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I've told you that, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was, I was with you. See, he's getting ready to leave them, verse 5. But now I, I go away to him who sent me. And none of you even asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, when he has come into the world, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they don't believe in me of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now, nor can we on this morning service. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that you would illuminate your scriptures uh, to us in such a way where again, today is, um, it's game day. It's fun. And uh, we wanna be in the game and we want to participate and we want to celebrate and we wanna win. And then tomorrow, Lord, I believe would be another game day. Some would look at it as practice, and I can see that. And which, but it counts. It all counts. And so Jesus today counts, and we ask um, with thanksgiving, making our supplications known to you, um, asking, Lord, that you would fill us, fill us with your Holy Spirit for the work of the ministry, uh, to abide, to endure, to be steadfast, to know, to love, to obey, to bear, to have joy. Fill me now, Holy Spirit, with you to the point of overflowing where it's you that comes out, not me. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we've been learning uh, about how to have a life that counts. Last week we talked about that, a life that counts. Everyone's trying to have a life that counts. They just don't want to blow it. 
I don't want to make a mistake. And that one guy who got the talent from Jesus, remember, there's three guys. One of them said, man, I just, I'm so sketched out about this. I just don't want to blow it. And so he buried his talent, didn't do anything with it. And Jesus was like, dude, at least put it in the bank, get some interest. Like, what are you doing? Do something with what God's given to you. And each one of us have that desire, whether we execute it well or not, to do something with our life. Um, and Jesus here with his boys on the eve of his death is pouring into them saying, guys, don't blow it. Okay, not in a way that a coach would tell the teammate, don't blow it, it's on you. That's so much different. I want you to get this. I, I labored this long last week and I want you to get it as well because I don't want you to leave here blowing it, but I don't want you to leave here thinking that it's up to you to not blow it. Okay, that's religion. That's uh, motivational speaking. That's self-helpism. That's not Christianity. Okay, it's not about you. I mean, how confusing is that already? Like, don't blow it. By the way, it's not about you. Okay, okay, I'm good with both of those. It doesn't make any sense, but I'm good with both of those. Listen, I, I said this last week. I'll say it again. Uh, you can do, you can do, you can do a whole lot for Jesus, yet not with Jesus, and then in the end not become like Jesus because you don't know Jesus. And even though you did a lot for Jesus, you end up being an offense to Jesus. It's called religion. It's called uh, moralism, it's a therapeutic uh, deism is what they call it. I'm my own, I just, I do good, and then I feel good. I'm my good, doing good and being good is my own God. Okay, be careful of that. We want to do good, though. We want to be good, but it's from him in us. Uh, Romans chapter um, 11, uh, verse 36. We might even have it. Maybe I didn't ask him to have it. I'll read it to you. Here's what it says. Romans 11. Write it down in your sermon notes. Hopefully you're taking them. Uh, 36. So you need to meditate on this as well. It says, of him from him and through him that's this way your life and through him and uh to him that's back to him are all things now in the greek what does the word all mean all things okay from through and to all things now if you get that you get on that conveyor belt and you i just like the conveyor belt illustration because when you get on a conveyor belt it takes you places and when you get to certain stations things are done on the conveyor belt and you get on the conveyor belt of abiding in christ and you say i'm i'm in it to win it i'm with jesus christ and he is guaranteed going to finish the work that he began in you is that good news oh that is the good news okay it's the good news it's not good views we don't need good views I don't need any opinions. I don't need the way you do things and the way you think things are going to happen. And a lot of Christians, listen, have good views. Here's what I think. Here's what I think. No, no, I need good news. Okay, don't be that Christian that's just giving me good views or giving everyone good views about how things ought to go. No, no. Concentrate, centric in your life, the good news about Jesus Christ. You get on that conveyor belt, and it's from him, it's through him, and it's back to him. Jesus, 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 Jesus. John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, I read at the beginning of worship. And nothing was made that was made that was made that wasn't made. That was, it was all made by him, is what he said. He said it way better than that. I just butchered it. And um, listen, I mean, all this is, is so awesome. It's all about Jesus. Yesterday, I drove to Florence, and I went down there and got to baptize Maggie Kimball. She's sitting right over there. And uh, her and her family and loved ones gathered around um, a lake with a made-up name, obviously. What's that name? What's that Wohink, <laughs> I don't know. I tried. I was like, "What is it? I'm not even gonna try this." It was a cool lake, though. It was a real cool lake, and we we um we all got in the water there, and they went swimming afterwards. But the portion of scripture that I always read at baptisms is Acts chapter eight, because in Acts chapter eight, Philip, before he baptizes the guy from Ethiopia, he preaches to him Jesus, beginning at Isaiah fifty three, and the way it's worded in the Greek there, you can tell it's it's not just in Isaiah; it's everywhere. He went through all of the Old Testament, which is all they had then, and preached Jesus. He preached Jesus. He preached Jesus. He preached Jesus. And while he's preaching Jesus, this Ethiopian dude stops the chariot, sees some water, and says, can I get in? I know the answer now. Actually, he says it so beautifully. What hinders me from getting baptized? What hinders me? Do I know enough? Have I done enough? Am I enough? What hinders me? And Philip here scratches his beard. I'm sure he had one. And he says, well, 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 what should I do? This guy wants to get baptized. And I'm the only pastor here. And he asks him, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And he says, I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Let's get in the water. We're going swimming. And, um, and they go, they get baptized. And I just love the simplicity and the Christocentric reality of Jesus Christ. And any other way of living, any other way of trying to figure things out is anthropocentric. That's man-centered. What you know, what I know, what they know, what Oprah knows, what Phil knows. Not Philip, the pastor or the evangelist, but Dr. Phil. <sighs> Wrong Phil. And, and we want to focus on Jesus Christ. And it's really that simple. 
And Jesus here is, is, is passing off the baton uh, to the boys, the 11, us included. And now today he's going to drop the bomb on them. Okay? The best news about the good news is coming in chapter 16. Uh, it's already been uh, leaked a little bit and peaked at in John 14. Uh, but uh, what he says for us today is going to change everything for them and for you and me. Everything. And I'm just excited to study it, to know it, to, to help us learn it, and that Jesus gave it to us. And again, I would just stress, these are the red letters. Jesus is walking through the garden of, on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, through the Kidron Valley, away from the upper room meal they just had. They're all rubbing their tummies. Ah, oh, that was so good. What's Jesus even talking about? He's talking about abiding in the vine. Okay? He says, I want you guys to abide in me and hang out in me. And if you abide in me, you're going to bear fruit. And my father's really pleased with lots of fruit. And the way you bear fruit is by obeying, doing what's right. And the way you obey is by loving. And the way you love me is by knowing me. And the way you know me is by abiding with me. It seems like this perfect circle. And then your joy will be full. Okay? And then all of a sudden, he like jumps tracks. It's almost like he's going, he's like, okay, hang on. Pull your parachute. Here we go. And he goes right from abide, love, obey, bear, joy to, oh, by the way, the world's going to hate you. You know how this is going to work for you, don't you? <laughs> they hated me. You're not better than me. Anybody here better than me? Jesus will say, anybody doing it better than me? Anybody greater than his master, his servants? No, 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 no one's better. And he says, okay, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And right then you're thinking, okay, I, I was still processing the whole abide, joy, love, fruit, obey, no thing. And now you're telling me that I'm going to get stabbed in the back the whole time. Okay, okay. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? And he gives them the way uh, to do that. And again, last week, if you're taking notes, um, we went over how to deal with haters, how to deal with haters in the world, haters that hate you, hate Jesus, hate God. And uh, number one, we learn in verse 18, don't be surprised. And just stop being surprised that by being a Christian, uh, you're going to receive some blowback, some pushback. It's going to happen. Don't be surprised. As a matter of fact, stop trying to minimize it. Stop trying to avoid it. Just, just, just endure it, okay? Jesus isn't like, okay, I'm going to fix it. He's like, oh, it's just accept it, accept it. Now, listen, Christian, don't make it worse, <laughs> okay? That's on you, okay? Don't be weird, okay? Don't be obnoxious. Don't be rude. Okay, you ought to be the most loving, most kind, most forgiving, most hardworking, most dedicated, most committed person uh, that your friends know because you love Jesus. And that should be the reason why they reject you is because of Jesus, not because of your uh, whatever, your work practices or the way you drive. I cut a guy off this morning. I felt so bad. <sighs> I didn't know he was there. And I, I almost wanted to get out of my car and be like, bro, I for real didn't even know you were here. And I have like two SBC stickers on my car. And I go to church there. Those guys are real cool. I don't even know them, but <laughs> I didn't say any of that. But anyways, he, I offended that guy. Don't, don't be offensive. Okay, don't be surprised. Number two, uh, clarify the source. And that's what I'm getting at right now in verse 19. Uh, the reason you ought to be hated and rejected is because of your love for Jesus, not because of the way you switch lanes without looking. And um, like I did this morning. Number uh, three, the way to deal with haters. Okay, expect less. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Like, Really? Are you that offended uh, that this person blocked you on Facebook or that this person doesn't call you anymore? And, uh, and we learn in verse 21, the reason, this really sets me free. The reason people reject you because you love Jesus is because they don't know him. We used the illustration last week of a blind person. You would never get offended that a blind person couldn't see what you see. You would actually have empathy and compassion for them. You wouldn't yell at them. You wouldn't fight with them. And so to people who don't know God, they don't know God. They don't know your God. And you know your God. And you're like, dude, he's so awesome. He just loves me. He cares for me. He's kind. And they just, it's all blah, blah, blah over their head. They don't, it's like Braille. They can't understand it. Now, when you, when you get around a person like that, you're the Braille for them, okay? You're the living epistle. You're the one who's going to help them to see the kind, loving, forgiving, benevolent God that you're describing. You're like, Lord, how am I going to show them? How are you going to show them your love? He's like, you do it. You are my hands, my feet. But Lord, they're not loving me back. Yeah, they didn't love Jesus back either. And this is, again, what to do with haters. We learned all this last week. You can get the tape. Did I just say tape? You guys remember those? Who here has never seen a tape in their life? Young person, raise your hand, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> never seen a tape. Anyways. There's digital form out there somewhere, video, audio, it's all there. 
Uh, they don't know God. Number number four, if we're using numbers, uh, why do they reject you? Why do they? What do they do about haters? We're going to learn this again. Um, people don't like guilt. They straight up don't like guilt. No one likes to be around that Christian that makes them feel guilty. Okay, that's kind of just the way it is, though. And um, there's there's two ways you can react to God in your life, the whole world. There's two ways, you can become better when God shows up and convicts you of your sin, or you can become bitter and say, whatever, dude, I'm not into that. Quit making me feel guilty, and you go harder in the wrong direction. There's only two reactions. Um, you can become better or bitter, or you can write it down this way. You can become godly when God gets in your presence and convicts you, or you can become godless even more so than you already were. And, and that's how the world reacts, and we're going to see that again in verse 22. Lastly, I didn't really develop this last week, I don't think, but uh, the other reason people hate God and hate you is they, re- they just reject God's authority. Verse 23 says, he who hates me hates my father also. You know, people hate authority, by and large, unless, of course, you're the CEO of your own life and the CEO of your family and the CEO of your neighborhood and the CEO of your car on family vacations and the CEO of the remote control and the CEO of your checkbook. And if I didn't already say that, we hate authority. We just, and we, we, we fall in line. We know what we got to do. But in the back of our head, we're like, I'm not even listening to you. I'm saying yes like this, but no inside. You know what I mean? And God shows up and he's like, by the way, you hate me, Jesus. You also hate my father. You guys just reject authority. You just, and, and as I was talking to Maggie yesterday about before the baptism, we were talking about some of the large concepts, theological concepts that help us to know who God is. And the very, very first theological concept you have to get down is that there is a God and you're not him. I'm not even kidding. Once you get that, I mean, you are a theological wizard um, because the rest of the world doesn't believe there's a God or at least that he's confused and we don't know whether he or she exists and I'm agnostic and you know, we don't know what's happening and that's a, 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 a cop-out. But what they do is they superimpose themselves then as God. I'm God. I'm the highest authority. I do what I want to do when I want to do it and how I want to do it. I'm my own God. And when you are a Christian, you say, no, there's a God and I'm not him. You are catapulted to the front of the line of theological debate and truth and reason. There's a God and I am definitely not him. And uh, what happens though is you need to reject this um, rejection of authority. And you've got to accept that authority in your life and say, it's him, not me. And when you do that, all of a sudden you are in a place where you can learn more, be more, do more, offer more to society and to the God that created you. They, haters, they don't want any authority. I mean, just think about it. Look around the world today. The, the, and and it's, it's human nature, by the way. So if you're a Christian here today and you've accepted authority in your life, that's good, but your human nature is still base and rotten. Okay, and you still, you kick it to goads, and it's, it's something we fight against, and it's, it's everyone's problem. I see this in my kids. Uh, I mean, they hate authority, and even within their own little cult they have, the three of them, <laughs> there's power struggles. There's authority struggles, and they're always ratting each other out, and they're always telling each other, and it's like there's, I, if, I, if I rat you out, I'll be above you, and I'm just thinking, you guys are blood, your family, this could be the coolest thing ever, but they just are humans. They're just humans. Did I call them a cult? I didn't mean that. That was <laughs> just the way they're connected to each other. Committed. Committed. Listen. Um, let me just, let me, let me just uh, jump into the text now where we left off last week and talk about this whole boss mentality. Um, look at verse 23. Again, it says, uh, he who hates me hates my father also. Look at the verse prior, verse 22. If I hadn't come and spoken to them, well, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin, and it's kind of like a, the, the boss mentality. Stereotypically, there's the boss of a corporation or a small business or anything. Stereotypically, the boss is in charge and does everything, but everyone who, under him kind of uh, at the water cooler and around kind of has inside jokes, and maybe they mock the boss and mimic the boss and kind of just, they serve the boss because the boss writes their paychecks, right? We all know we're not that dumb, and uh, you don't bite the hand that feeds you. But there's this stereotypical pushback to the guy at the top, and it's the same with it's so crazy. It's so crazy. It's the same with creation. That's you and me. We were invited to be on his green earth. Hey, come on in. It's great. And we come in kicking and screaming, yelling, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. You ever seen a kid get born? Kicking and screaming. Come into this world, yelling, screaming, give me something. Give me something. Give me everything. It's just the way it is. And, it, and we just kind of, we temper it as we get older, you know? 
and get lawyers. Give me that, you know? <laughs> it just, that's all it is. It's human nature. <laughs> and we don't like that fact that there's a boss. Now, Jesus shows up, and he's basically saying, if you don't like the Father, you don't like me, I'm the boss, I'm the boss. Can you imagine that? Jesus shows up, humble, shepherd, carpenter, preacher, rabbi, born of a virgin, born into scandal. You know, he had that scandal over his head his whole life. They even called him names throughout his ministry. And he says, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually the boss. And, uh, and if I wouldn't have said the things I said, you guys would have no sin, verse 22. But I have said the things I did say, and now you have no excuse for your sin. Again, I have no excuse circled in my Bible because once the word of God comes, which Jesus was the word, and the word became flesh, and once the word of God comes in our lives, whether it's at that Gideon um, Bible you opened up at that uh, hotel uh, or that was given to you on a college campus, the little Psalms, the Proverbs, and the New Testament, or maybe it was a Sunday school program, when the word of God comes and all of a sudden it speaks the truth, there's no excuse anymore. And I have labored this before, that the word of God um, is throughout all creation. Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Okay, God's word is not just paperback. It's not just oral, okay, not just rhema, the spoken word, but it's his creation that speaks of him. And, when, and Jesus came and just, I think, sealed the deal, though, with his bodily presence, with his ministry. And he says, there's no excuse now. You have no excuse. And I'll tell you what, my kids, <laughs> do I just throw my kids under the bus too much? <laughs> I just see, I think God gave us kids and gave us each other and gave us brothers and sisters to learn of his nature. We're created in his nature. We have a fallen nature, created in his image, I should say. And I see in my kids um, this, where was I? <laughs> what, what, what are we on, verse 22? If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. And I see in my kids this, this defense to their offense. How many of you guys have a defense for your offense? What's that about? I mean, is your offense there? Is it real? Is it legitimate? <laughs> oh, my kids are so funny. You know, someone will do something. There's the evidence right there. There's the offense. Hey, who did this? None of us. <laughs> Nobody did that. It was like that. <laughs> You know, and again, we get sophisticated. We get older. We're like, oh, it's, you know, let me, if you saw it through my eyes, it wouldn't be as bad as it looks. And we, you know, maybe that was me, but you don't really know the context. And we, we try and spin and dance around it. And listen, the word of God comes. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. And it's a beautiful thing, please. It's a beautiful thing because you and I don't want to excuse our sin. We don't. You see, sin hurts. Sin kills. Sin costs. And when you and I get in that habit of excusing our sin, we're going to find ourselves hurting ourselves. And Jesus says, no, no, I'm, 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 not, I'm not the Godfather here to crack down on you with a baseball bat. I'm Father God here to shepherd you with a shepherd's staff. Okay, I love you, and I'm going to defend you, and I'm going to lead you. And that's my heart. That's my heart. That's my heart. Uh, I make my kids wear helmets uh, when they ride their bikes. You know, and you would think I was, you know, an evil ruler of the cul-de-sac. Um, why do I do that? <laughs> I want them to live when they crash. Uh, I want them to do well. And God says, I'm going to give you my word. And it's for your benefit. There's no excuse for your sin. Don't excuse your sin anymore. Just say, yeah. Oh, man. Lord, would you help me with my sin? Would you help me? And whenever my kids wreck something or do something or, or make a mess, I always try and give them a teachable moment. Let's see how this happened. Let's correct it. And let's next time just ask for help. Okay, next time just ask for help. And that's what the Lord does with you and me as well, except we just have this base nature uh, that pushes back on the boss. And uh, Jesus came in the position of the boss. Okay, so I'm the boss. There's three Ps you can write down. Position of the boss. But he also came in the power of the boss. Okay? Look at verse 24. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, I've got that circled. I mean, come on. No one else did them. If I wouldn't have done the things I did, well, verse 24, they would have no sin, but now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. And this is, again, just so crazy that they would see Jesus do what he did and immediately write it off. He fed 5,000 people plus women and children, so let's call it 15,000 people. Yeah, must have been, they had some Lunchables stashed away, a pallet of Lunchables for sure, you know? And there's people out there who think, well, maybe they, maybe the loaves of fish were as big as whales. Maybe that's what it was, you know? Maybe it was too low. He didn't multiply nothing. And there's people, are you kidding? Listen, Jesus did what Jesus did. You have no excuse now. You have to own up. You have to accept it, okay? He's the boss. He's got the position. I'm it. Deal with it. Not enough for you? Okay, let me do some power. I'm the boss. 
good enough for you? And people still say, I kind of like being the boss. I kind of like being my own boss. I'm doing a pretty good job of being the boss. You be your own boss. You can be their boss down there at South Beach Church, but not me. And um, look at verse 25. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which was written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And uh, he's got the position of the boss, the power of the boss, but he's also got the perfection of the boss. He's perfect. There's no cause to reject Jesus. There is no cause. I always tell people, if you reject Jesus, it's not for any uh, historicity. It's not for any evidence issues. It's not for any authenticity. It's not for anything at all you can come up with tangible. That's not an invalid excuse. If you come up with a, with a, a tangible, historical, um, authentic, biblical excuse to reject Jesus, I dare you. I dare you. You can, and the world does reject Jesus by drones, thousands, hundreds, because of an authority issue. They don't want to be in submission to somebody else. They don't want to accept what he has said so clearly and so plainly in the Old New Testament. They just don't want to deal with it. Okay, that's the only reason why people reject God. Not because he had a problem, not because he blew it, not because he's uh, insufficient, not because he's whatever. And he says it right here, look, I'm, I'm, I'm perfect. There is no cause to reject Jesus, even though they will reject me. And um, that just boggles my mind. People don't want to submit their lives to God. And uh, they have no other cause to reject other um, than who he is. Well, let's keep reading. This is, uh, again, I want you to get a running start with me. John 14, they were in the, the upper room eating. And he says, arise, let's go from here. Then begins the walk. Okay, John 15 is the walk. I'm not sure it was like this at all. But anyways, they were, they were walking, talking about abiding in the vine, secrets of the vine. Maybe he saw the vine on the temple. Maybe he saw the vines walking with him. Whatever it may be, he gave this long teaching on abiding in the vine and what Jesus wants from you and me. He wants a life that counts. Produce some fruit, man. And we talked about the fruit. You might be sitting here today. Maybe you're visiting first time. Like, what's the fruit? What is it, grapes? Do you want grapes? I'll buy him some grapes. Listen, fruit is an internal evidence of God in your life. A difference that you can't fabricate that you can't download, you can't buy, you, can't, you just abide, and all of a sudden out of you comes wisdom, comes peace and joy, uh, comes life and newness and repentance and holiness and evangelism and outspokenness. And how long does it take, by the way, for that fruit to grow? I'll just say your whole life. Okay, so if you're here today like, oh, man, I, I think I'm pretty fruitless. Okay, just abide, just abide. I bet you're not fruitless. I bet you if you ask your old friends or somebody else, have you... Have I changed? You see any change in me at all? Well, yeah, you're a little heavier. I mean, I mean, in, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Listen, you're changing if you're abiding in the, in the vine. It's not up to you. It's up to him. It's from him, through him, and to him. It's the best news you're going to hear. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Man, just abide. Just to a degree, cooperate and relax in what he's doing. And uh, so he's walking, teaching them this, and then all of a sudden he jumps tracks. We talked about that. They're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. Here's the reasons why they're going to hate you. They don't know me. Uh, they don't like guilt. They don't know God. And uh, they don't like authority. And uh, don't be surprised. They hated me first. Verse 26. I need you to get the concept. Oh, that's not what I meant to say. I need you to get the context of why and where this next verse comes into play. Verse 26. But when the Holy... No, I keep saying that. When the Helper comes whom I shall send to you from the Father, comma, the spirit of truth, comma, that's who we're talking about, who proceeds from me, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And um, stop right there, eyes up here. We are, are getting into now the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Okay, he's called the helper. Uh, we didn't see him mentioned, I don't believe, um, very clearly at least, in all of chapter 15 until right now. We did see him in chapter 14, okay? There was a promise. This is a reference now. Jesus goes back to his conversation at dinner, and he says, by the way, guys, there's one coming, the helper. And we talked about that. The helper is one of his names. What are the other names of the Holy Spirit that we get from that Greek word, para, which means alongside, and kletos, which means, which means what? Helper. Give me another word. Comforter. You guys use a blanket last night when you slept? Comforter. How's that? So nice. Love my comforter. Just, oh, man, so good. What else? Uh, advocate. Some of your Bibles had advocate. Uh, some of your Bibles had counselor because this word is so intense. Alongside para means parallel, alongside. So the Holy Spirit's our helper comes alongside of us to counsel, to advocate, to help, and to comfort. Is that good news? 
in context, context is king. Jesus is saying, you got to abide. You got to bear fruit. They're going to throw knives at you. They're going to hate you. But when the Holy Spirit comes, because you might be sitting there tripping going, what's going to happen? It's, how's it going to, you want fruit while I'm getting stabbed in the back. Okay. Um, I've been doing CrossFit. Uh, CrossFit's this uh, workout here. here uh, it's national, but there's a gym in town. And I go to it, and what the CrossFit's crazy, just crazy, just so you know. And um, uh, you can go online and see the workout of the day. It's called the WAD, and it shows you what they're going to do. And from time to time, I'll go and see what they're going to do, and I'll be like, that's crazy. I'm not going. <laughs> that's how committed I am. And sometimes I'm feeling crazy. I'm like, that looks crazy. I'm going. And uh, the point is, is you might look at what Jesus is asking from us and say, dude, that's crazy. How am I going to do that? And Jesus says, you know how you're going to do it? You're not. The Holy Spirit, the helper, the advocate, the counselor, uh, he is going to do it in you. And this is like the biggest sigh of relief. Like, oh, man, because religion says, yeah, you better do it. I talked to a guy yesterday, picked him up hitchhiking in Florence. It was kind of interesting. And the whole way home, he was talking about another religion. And in this other religion that he had been a part of and, and uh, had impacted him, uh, the amount of rules and craziness that he was recalling to me um, was unashamed in, in nutso schizo. And I just was like, that's crazy. That's, that's a cult is what that is. And it is a cult. And uh, I don't need to say anything else about that. But it's all about them, what they can do. And they have records. He was talking about the records they keep. The records um, are handwritten and from the beginning of time, they say, and everything you've ever done is recorded. And I'm just thinking, that's scary. And uh, it's all about you. And if you don't do it, there's a way to then climb back up the ladder if you do something that you shouldn't have done. And there's a protocol and a process. And you might not even make it then. You know? And here, Jesus is saying, here's what's going to happen. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. And the Holy Spirit's going to come, the helper, when the Holy Spirit comes. Now, I, I need you guys to just consider something with me. Have you ever seen a lightning storm? You seen a lightning storm? Okay. You ever seen like a, a photo of a lightning bolt? You know, it's like, wow. You know, maybe have you seen a lightning bolt like strike something and just explode it to smithereens? And you're like, that's kind of scary, <laughs> you know? And uh, okay, have you ever seen uh, maybe like a, a transformer up high, transforming electricity and kind of, you know, exploding or something like that? And, and uh, you've seen something, maybe, maybe you've read about or seen an article or known of somebody who gets electrocuted by electricity. Is that scary? Is that scary? Okay, um, on those green junction boxes in front of my house, uh, some of them have a picture of a monster like this. And um, you know what I'm saying? On the green boxes, there's a monster. And my kids are always like, is there a monster in there? Is there a monster? And I was like, uh, kind of. It's called electricity. And what happens is, is, and it shows this monster like biting little kids, you know? It's like kind of weird. But I was like, if, if you touch the stuff in there, it's going to shock you. And they just want you to kind of be scared of this box. And my kids are like, done. We're cool, you know? Let's stay away from that box. There's <laughs> a green monster in there. And, and uh, so we, we all agree, we all agree that electricity is dangerous and it'll, it'll kill you if you touch it. And uh, lightning is, is uncontrollable and the monsters in those green boxes, we're all on the same page, right? How many of you, based on those facts, it's not opinion, facts, uh, have gone home and, and since then pulled out all the wires out of your wall and um, said, I'm just getting rid of my electricity then. And beans on this, it's crazy. It's crazy. I saw National Geographic on lightning, no more electricity in our house. You done that yet? Anybody done that? Anybody ever even thought about that? No, you don't think about that at all. You're so stoked to go home and turn your light switches on. You go all day long. It's so fun. So easy. On, off, on, off. Man, I love power. Here's the point. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. But, listen, just track with me here. We don't even have time. We could spend weeks on this. There is a certain reaction to the Holy Spirit within evangelical circles because of some borderline, fringe, wild-eyed, unbiblical activity in the name of the Holy Spirit that has caused a larger portion, that's the minority, a larger portion to say, wow, that Holy Spirit thing looks kind of crazy. I think I'll just stay away from that green box with the ugly monster on it. And there is, and just test your own water. Not everyone's going to have the same water temperature today, but there are some people who said, you know what, that Holy Spirit thing, that whole doctrine of the Holy Spirit... I just want to stay away from it because I've seen too much craziness. And I just, I'm, I'm fearful that if I go that route, I'll become like that person, which I just don't necessarily want to be like that person. I kind of want to keep the normal vibe going in my life. You don't need to raise your hand, um, but you all, you all know what I'm getting at, I do believe. And so there's this polarization unnecessary to our reaction to the Holy Spirit, you know. Um, and I want to help balance that a little bit today. 
uh, because Jesus here says, but the Holy Spirit, when, when the Holy Spirit comes, when the helper comes, that's a good thing. He's not trying to warn us about the, in, the danger coming because of the Holy Spirit. He's actually inciting us to draw near to what he's about to say. And I guarantee you there's at least 10, 20, maybe 100 people here today that would say, yeah, I'm totally into the Holy Spirit, but man, just keep it on lockdown. And I even said that wrong because it's not an it. You might say that if, you, if that's your philosophy. Keep, keep it on lockdown. Don't let it get out of control. I've seen that stuff, man. Snake handlers and all that stuff that's unbiblical, not right, fringe, borderline, wild-eyed, unbiblical stuff going on in our culture, okay? Uh, A.W. Tozer wrote about this in one of his books, and he actually said that uh, this wild-eyed activity that happens on a smaller scale is kind of like a scarecrow right in the middle of God's cornfield that keeps people away from what God has intended for them in their relationship with the Holy Spirit. You guys know what a scarecrow does, right? Keeps everything away. And sometimes you may have seen, you might even know a friend or a family member or a church that's kind of just a little bit beyond your temperature. And you're like, I don't even want to, I don't know, I want to go there. I just want to keep it cool. And the scarecrow and, and, and A.W. Tozer recognized that and said, it ought not to be so. It ought not to be so. And uh, so just like you guys keep your power in your house, you need to keep the Holy Spirit in your life. Okay? Whether you understand him all the way or not, you need him. I'm telling you right now, you can't do the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. And I believe some of us have tried to. We've tried to love our wives. We've tried to lead our kids. Tried to minister to our neighbors. Tried to break habitual sin apart from the Holy Spirit's power. For, for many reasons. And it's impossible to live Christianity, to serve Jesus Christ, to be alive in him apart from him is critical death, guaranteed. As a matter of fact, you may even succeed in some areas of your life apart from him and then be even more blasphemous in his eyes. When Jesus here says, oh, by the way, guys, they're gonna hate you. What? Bear fruit, I'm a little scared. The helper's coming. I need you to get this concept also. We know more than they did then. They didn't know what the heck he was talking about. <laughs> you and I, we know a lot. I mean, we got it down. 2,000 years of history we can learn from. 50 days after he said this, 5-0, five, 5 meaning Penta on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover celebration, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would come in a way that they didn't understand until it came. And even then, they would work it out for the first decade, second decade, and even then, the life with the Holy Spirit was created. We're 2,000 years later, we're like, yeah, totally, totally, Holy Spirit's coming. We got it. Next page. And I just need you to just understand what they were going through because he sees them. And he says, I see sorrow now. You guys are going through sorrow. I understand. You're not, you don't, man, can you imagine breaking all this down for them? Like with your kids, okay, I'm going to go away for, to, to a conference, I might tell my kids. You know? but, 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 but your mom's going to be here to take care of you. You know, and when I come back, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back and bring you some toys. Ah, you know? And you're just trying to break it down for them. You know, where's the sweet spot here? And Jesus here is not making stuff up, but telling them this is the only way it's going to work. This is the only way it's going to work. You've got to abide. You're going to be hated. But I love, I love that transition word. Verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Now, contextually, verse 26 is speaking uh, specifically um, in, in regards to verse 25, which says, they hated me without cause. They rejected Jesus Christ. So he says, the Holy Spirit will come and testify of me. I need you to get that. That's like entry level, what the Holy Spirit's here to do. I really need you to get that. The Holy Spirit is not here to double up your bank account. The Holy Spirit's not here to give you goosebumps. Okay? The Holy Spirit's not here to make you powerful. The Holy Spirit's not here to um, really uh, do anything outside of testify of Jesus Christ through you. Whether that's a doubled up bank account or a doubled down bank account, he don't care. His prime, Jesus is saying, they're going to hate me, they're going to hate you, they're going to hate me without cause. But guess what? Guess what? There's no cause to hate me, but there's going to be a testifier, a witness, martizeo, a martyr. There's going to be somebody here who's laying it down for my name. Now, again, he's just asked them to go lay it down for his name. Can you imagine that? Like, go make me, go make me famous. Okay. How's that going to go? Well, they're going to hate you. Right on. Where do we start? <laughs> okay. What does he say? Go start in Jerusalem. 50 days from now, get the Holy Spirit, and then go gangbusters, because it's all him. 
And he says, the Holy Spirit's gonna do it for me through you. Again, if you're a serious Christian today and you wanna do this, you wanna bear fruit and you wanna endure to the end, uh, enduring, by the way, doesn't save you, but being saved is what causes you to endure. Just so you know, okay, you don't endure to, to stay saved, but if you're a saved person, it's what you do as a saved person, you endure, you endure, you endure to the end through the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the position on so many Christians today, again, is just, uh, man, give me the word. Even in a church like ours, I'll just go ahead and throw our church under the bus. We're a Calvary Chapel church. We're a Bible church. And uh, we are heavy on the Bible and on grace and on what the Bible says. And there can be, um, there's an old saying that goes around that says you can have um, all spirit and you'll, or let me say it this way, all, all word and you'll dry up. If it's just all word, you're going to dry up. Now, if it's all spirit, you've been to those churches before where there's no teaching at all and no biblical parameters. It's just, let's get crazy. Here's the Kool-Aid. And, um, and uh, so it's, it's all, all word, you're gonna dry up and all spirit, you're gonna flare up. And I've seen dozens of people so excited about something and then life hits and they are gone. No substance, flare up. Or you can have a balance of the Holy Spirit and the word and you'll not dry up, you'll not flare up, you'll grow up. Okay, that's our goal. So we can be careful. We got to be careful here at this church because we're a lot of word, all word, all word, and you can get very dry, very theological, very truthful, very underst. You got it all worked out. Okay, where's the Holy Spirit? Like, are you fired? Is are you growing? Are you growing? Are you growing? And uh, Charismania has done a, done a work on us. Let me just give you a few um, things to think about that you just need to put down, whether you understand them or not, in your thinker. Um, I'll tell one story. Mark Anderson, he's my pastor in Ashland, and uh, he was at Bible college, and he did a paper on the Holy Spirit. And uh, he wrote this long paper on the Holy Spirit, and he thought, it, he thought he did a really good job. And uh, he got the paper back, and there was a big F right on the top, circled in red, so hard that it actually ripped the paper. And he's like, whoa. And uh, what had happened is, is he'd written this great um, article and this great paper on the Holy Spirit, and every time he referenced the Holy Spirit, he said the H.S., just to kind of, you know, cut down on verbiage. And he said, the HS, the HS, the HS, the HS, the, the Holy Spirit. He just gave him some initials. And uh, this professor um, reamed him up and down and said, he's not the HS. He, it's not an it. It's not a force. It's not a power. He is a person. And just really blew him into the back of the room. And I've never forgot that story. And whether you understand that or not, because it's pretty easy to wrap your mind around Jesus Christ being a person, you know, kind of got the pictures in your mind and we got the words and even God being the father, he's given himself that title. Uh, the Holy Spirit though, you might be wondering, yeah, he's a force, he's a force. Uh, he's an entity, he's a power. Let's just see what Jesus says. Look at verse 26 again. The very latter half, it says, he uh, will testify uh, of me. Jump down to verse seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. And I, uh, if I do depart, I will send him. Okay, look at verse eight. And uh, it says, he when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness, judgment to come. Look at verse 13. Now, however, this is a big one. When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his, his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things uh, to come. Look at verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take uh, what is mine and declare it to you. Look at verse 15. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. You guys see uh, a personality there? Okay, now when I say he and him, I'm not uh, uh, stressing gender by any means. I'm stressing person. He's a person. Now, whether today you're like, oh yeah, totally. What's he look like? What's he look like? You know, that's what you're thinking right now. I don't know. Um, but he's a person, not an it, not a force, not a power, not, a pr not even a presence in that weird sense. It's a, he's a person. And I need you to just conceptualize that in your own mind. You're not going to understand it all the way. Just, just change your mind. He'll change your heart. Say, okay, okay. And, um, and uh, he, he's, a, he's a he. And I would just say this one more time. You can't live the Christian life without the helper. Anybody need some help today? Are you for real? You're so well aware of your needs right now and your spouse even more so. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you're like, oh, what am I going to do? I got this to-do list, and I got this stuff, and it's the Holy Spirit. It's him in you. Don't try to do anything else apart from his power. Don't try and endure the hatred, the rejection, the stuff, the pressure you're under. 
whether solicited, valid or not, without the Holy Spirit. And don't try and produce fruit without the Holy Spirit. He's mentioned in reference right now to hatred, persecution, and suffering. And uh, he's given all those names again to help us, the helper, the comforter, counselor, advocate. He's mentioned in that way. And uh, so let's just, again, study it out and see if we can get some more out of this. Verse 26, uh, when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth. I like, I like that subtitle, just so you know what he's all about, the spirit of truth. And um, he proceeds from the Father. He will testify of me, and you also will bear witness of me because you've been with me from the beginning. Now, here's the key. He's saying the Holy Spirit's going to witness about me, testifies the word he used in the English that we get. It's actually the same Greek word, same Greek word here, uh, martizeo, which is where we get our word martyr from. And he says, you guys, you gals, you Christians, you disciples, you're going to be witnesses of me too. Holy Spirit goes first, and then you go behind, and you follow up. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit loves people more than you do? Okay, loves them more than you do. And then he's asked you to be a part of their life. And you love less because you are less. Deal with it. But he's done and does the lion's share work. And he just asks you to come alongside obediently and to love on that person, to love on those, uh, those people, that family, that group, that barista, uh, that checker, that salesman, uh, that whatever. You gotta believe, otherwise you're gonna get burned out. You're gonna become so loveless if you don't believe that the Holy Spirit loves people more than you and it's doing something in their life. Walk into Starbucks next time you go there, Espresso or Carl's Coffee, wherever you go. Walk in, drive through, and just know that God is, loves that person more than you do, has plans for a future and a hope for them, and wants to do something in their life. And he's given you an appetite for coffee. And so you get to go there and be a blessing to them, and love on them, and witness uh, who Jesus is to them. And uh, let's just keep reading. Check this out. Uh, these things I've spoken to you, I meant to get way further today, uh, believe it or not, and uh, we're going to keep going though. These things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They're going to put you out of the synagogue. Yeah, the time's coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. These things are going to do to you because they have not known me and nor my fa known the Father nor me. But, verse 4, these things I've told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. He ends verse 4, that thought, saying, uh, when this happens, I don't want you to be surprised. I don't want you to be stumbled. I'm saying this, uh, verse 1 again of uh, John 16. These things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. And uh, let me ask you a question. Now, how many of you guys have been um, made to stumble in your Christianity, in your allegiance to Jesus, in your follow-through of your promises, in your preparation of your heart, you don't even need to raise your hand. I'll raise my hand for all of you. We've all, been, we've all been stumbled, okay? We've all been scandalized by the pressures, by our own inabilities, by our own iniquities. That's sin. We've all blown it and fallen short of the glory of God, even when we signed up and committed. I remember one time I took communion, and I saved the communion cup because I swore it was the last time I'd have to repent for that sin. That communion cup was in the trash by the end of the day. You know what I'm saying? You make those commitments, Lord, never again. Ah, never again, Lord. And then life hits and pressure happens and, and your flesh shows up one more time. There's two kinds of stumbling, okay? Jesus just said to his boys, I said this so you wouldn't stumble. Let me ask you this. Would they stumble? <laughs> okay, that very night, a few hours later, Peter's like, whoo, I'm out of here. Jesus who? Nah, Jesus? I don't know that guy. Different language, different guy. Stumbling. Uh... John here, when he's writing this, is 60 years past, and he's recounting maybe all the stuff he'd gone through. And there is a stumbling that leads you to the ground and away from God's glory that then when you stumble, like the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, the righteous man stumbles how many times? Seven. And then he gets up. He gets up. He gets up. You get up. There is a stumbling that happens in our life through our boxing match with flesh, with the devil, with the world, and we get knocked down, but these things are made so we don't stay down, okay? You don't stay down. You might take on some water. You might take on some hits. You might take that one step backward after your two steps forward, but you don't stay down. Look at you. You're here today. You're here today. You're here right now. Beat up, banged up, wishing you'd done better. It's not about you. You're not going to give up. He's not going to give up on you. He says these things that we made would not be made uh, to stumble. And I would just say this, Christianity, straight up, isn't for wimps. 
straight up. And uh, you got to have some backbone. you got to be able to stand up to the culture. And you can't be scandalized when, uh, when that pushback comes, that blowback comes. You have to ask yourself right now, before we even move on to the next verse, and before we move into some worship and communion, I'm going to ask you this. Are you uh, stumbling back right now from God, or are you pressing into him through the power of the Holy Spirit? If you're stumbling right now, if you're, if you're taking on water, taking hits, if you just are just in this cyclone of despair and despondency, the answer is the Holy Spirit, him. You need him. You need him. I'm going to give you some um, homework or action because I think the biggest problem with sermons like this and sermons in general is not the lack of gaining of knowledge. It's the, it's the application of that knowledge. That's the biggest pitfall of sermons. You can sit here and say, man, I learned so much. And that knowledge will lead to growth. Uh, but what we need is steps. We need to be doers of the word, not hearers only. And he says, I don't want you to stumble. And uh, I'll tell you what, if you're stumbling, you, you can't survive on yesterday's filling of the Holy Spirit. Write this down. Consider it well. Uh, there's one baptism in the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Only one. But there are many, many fillings of the Holy Spirit. One baptism. And even that one baptism confuses people from time to time. They're like, man, I'm saved. I'm totally filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't tell. But I'm full. No, no, you need to be filled again. Not saved again. That's a one-time deal. Baptized in the Holy Spirit, one-time deal. Filled. Be filled. Be filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even, even that sounds like a pressure. How do I get filled? How do you get filled at the gas station? Here in Oregon, you try and pump it yourself, you get arrested. You show up and you say, fill it. You know what I'm saying? You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Tell them. Pull up to the, to the word, to the communion table, to what, whatever. Fill it. Fill me, Lord. Fill me. I'm telling you what. I'm telling you what. In your pride, in your desire to achieve it on your own, you need to just battle that right now and say, I don't, I don't deserve it. How many of you guys don't deserve to be filled right now? Don't raise your hand. You just don't deserve it. You don't deserve to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's kind of nasty. I've been kind of blowing it. And what am I even going to? I just don't deserve it. Last night, I considered my own undeserving nature of the Holy Spirit and my need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I sat there at my table just in this quandary, knowing that I'd had a busy Saturday, had a busy week, didn't prepare my message in time, was stressing out last night, didn't have enough time to prepare an adequate message. I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do? You know what I need? Lord, I don't deserve it, but I need to be filled. I need to be filled. I need to be filled. What I got to do is just, I just got to do this and I got to go do other stuff. I need to be filled for that too and you need to be filled. And, and we got this, this catch 22 where I don't deserve it. You, you never deserved it. Your need brought you into the position to deserve it. Okay? You don't clean yourself up and present yourself to God. You present yourself to God. When we were still yet in sin, he died for us. So I'll tell you what, if you're struggling right now and you know, oh, I got to do better, I got to do better. Listen, it's not even you, you're doing it wrong. Tap out, submit, ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And he says, I don't want you to stumble. I want you to make it. He says, they're going to put you out of synagogues. And a synagogue back then would be um, your everything. It's not just go. If I kicked you out of South Beach Church, and I wouldn't do that, uh, but if you got kicked out of South Beach Church by Pastor Matt, because he would. Um, <laughs> kidding. Anyways, now you could go to another church. You're fine totally fine. Not then. Not, not, not so here. Getting kicked out of synagogue. Uh, there's no other synagogue. You're done. You can't buy. You can't sell. You're, you're dead. You, you're homeless. You are nothing. You are ostrich. It's big time. And uh, the synagogue was the social circle. It was the Facebook of that day. And uh, you had uh, all your, everything was there. And they're like, they're going to put you out. As a matter of fact, they're going to kill you. I think they do God a service. And we see that um, now. We see people killing Christians and others in the name of God, their own perception of God. And uh, you wouldn't think it's possible, but we see it every day. And uh, even Paul, the apostle, would kill Christians in the name of God. And Jesus is saying, look, you're going to need the Holy Spirit for this. Uh, by the way, by the way, and I didn't mean to bring this up, but I will. Um, Jesus is saying they're going to put you out of synagogues and they will take your life thinking they do God a service. And you are going to be my martyrs and uh, lay your life down. The very first martyr, the very first witness was Stephen. And he was killed in the name of God uh, by Jews in Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 8. And uh, when he was killed, he saw the Holy Spirit. 
He saw Jesus. He saw heaven opened up and Jesus stood and he was at peace. He was fully blessed. He prayed for his accusers, prayed for his people who were killing him. And the guy was fully lit up with the Holy Spirit, the first witness, the first martyr. And the Jesus fulfillment of what he said would happen to you and I when they hate us, when we're stumbled, when we're put out of synagogues, when they take our life, whether socially or physically, it all comes true. Jesus is enough. He's right there for you. Don't try so hard in your own flesh. And... Um, Verse 4, and I'll just end here. I didn't mean to, but verse 4 says, But these things uh, I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. So let me talk about that first. He's saying, I didn't tell you guys at the very beginning when you signed up for this how it was going to roll. But now I'm not hiding nothing. The reason I didn't tell you how it was going to roll out when I called you to be my disciples is because I was with you. It was right there in the flesh. It's the only time that ever happened. Now he calls people by faith. But when he calls people by faith to live in the absence of Jesus Christ with the presence of the Holy Spirit, come be a Christian. He says, I, I'm telling you right now so that way you're not surprised. And I love Jesus for that because he doesn't pull any punches and he doesn't hide um, within his best life now teaching that it's going to be all peaches and roses and puppy dogs. It's not. He says, no, I actually, um, I, I'm telling you right now because you need to get it. You need to realize that if all men speak well of you, you're probably doing it wrong. And if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, not be obnoxious and be rude and lazy, but if you just desire to be a Christian, you're going you're gonna to get persecuted. And um, we want the truth. Okay, go to a church that gives you the truth. You want the truth. You don't want any sugar coating in order to fill seats Okay, you don't want to read authors or listen to sermons that are going to pull their punches and make it feel better for you. You want someone to give you the truth because we're in a war. If I told you, hey, there's a war and they're using rubber bullets, don't even worry about it. But they're not. <laughs> no, no. I'm going to tell you they're using, you know, armor-piercing armor bullets. You better keep your head down, okay, because it's nasty out there. And Jesus says, I'm just, I want you guys to get it. I don't want you to be scandalized. And I want you to know what's going on so that way when things get real and get heavy, you, instead of tapping out, can tap into the power source. Okay? A couple things I asked you to think about before we got into the preaching part. Um, Jesus said, I don't want you to stumble. I want you to do well. I'm telling you what things. He said, look at verse 1 again. Chapter 16, we're ending now. These things I've spoken to you. What things have I spoken to you? To abide, bear fruit. There's going to be pushback. It's going to be nasty. But when the helper comes, anybody need help today again? Anybody need some counsel? How about an advocate? Have you blown it? You need a good lawyer? Me too. Um, comforter? I just, I'm serious. I love my comforter. <laughs> I love getting, I just, I smile in the dark. I just put on, it's like, oh, so glad I'm in bed. This is so, so nice. The Holy Spirit, comforter. He's not just keeping you warm, but he comforts you in your time of trial, your time of need, your time of hardship, your time of loss. And he says, I'm speaking this stuff to you so you guys can get through life. Now, when you leave here, guess who you're taking with you? The Holy Spirit. Him. We didn't get into this. We'll do it next week. Jesus says in verse uh, 7, he said, it's to your advantage that I go away. It's expedient for you. It's so better for you. And they were, they were so willing to argue that fact. No, no, Jesus. <laughs> we like it the way it is. And he says, no, when I go, when I go, it won't be me here with you 11. It'll be my spirit here with the world. You all get it. What if Jesus was still alive right now? He just never died and still lived in Jerusalem. Wouldn't that be horrible? You know what the line would be like at the end of his services? Instead, he's like, no, got a better plan. I'm going to download myself onto humanity and indwell my creation, and you become the temple of Jesus, the temple of God. How's that? (laughs) Okay, okay, now that you put it that way, now that you put it that way, and as you leave here today, you might want to take a bunch of stuff with you. Wish you could take that elder with you or that pastor, take me, take somebody, take the Sunday school teacher. Man, I wish I could just get that. I wish I could just take that with me. You got what you need right there with you. The Holy Spirit, the counselor, the advocate, the helper. He's with you. Don't be afraid of him. Okay, don't turn the power off. I meant to say this uh, 10 minutes ago. Now we're in overtime. This always happens. 
I'm going to say these things in closing next week, and I want you to think on them this week. How do you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Um, again, there's one baptism into salvation, Holy Spirit filling, uh, but there's many refills, if you would. I love Taco Bell. You can get refills on your soda, and um, <clears throat> even more so with the Holy Spirit, you can get a refill uh, with Jesus. Here's, here's three things. Write this down. Number one, make room. Number two, ask. Number three, expect. Um, make room for the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 13 says, wake up, man. Don't be so foolish. I'm paraphrasing. Wake up. Now's the time. Now's the time. Don't make any provision for the flesh, for the lust thereof to fulfill it. Don't, don't do it. Stop it. Make room for the Holy Spirit. You want more Holy Spirit in your life? There's probably some stuff. That's your job and the Holy Spirit's job to figure out, not mine and yours, what you need to get rid of. Just make some room for him. You know what I'm saying? I picked up that hitchhiker yesterday, and the first thing I did is I got out of my car, and I made room for him because there wasn't any. <laughs> I threw everything I own in the back seat. I made some room for that guy. Uh, make room for the Holy Spirit. Next, uh, next thing, this is, this is humbling, um, but do this. Ask. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, he said, if you being evil, say I'm evil. Say it. If you being evil know how to give your kids good gifts, how much more so my heavenly father will give to you the Holy Spirit when you ask of them. I love my kids. I mean, I think, when they go to bed, I think about ways I could bless them, things I could build for them. And I'm evil. And God says, I'm good. God says about himself, I'm good. And if you ask of me, of the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna give it to you. That's crazy. Because right now you're all struggling, you're all toiling, you're all trying super hard to do certain things. And the Lord's like, need a hand? (laughs) Can I help? Ask. Uh, And number three, Ephesians 5.18 says, be, don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation or excess is a better word. It's just excess. Careful, careful, he says. Don't look for your comfort in, in wine. Don't look for your advocacy in wine. Don't look for your help in wine. And by the way, anything and everything, you could replace wine with money. You could replace my, wine with power. Um, anything that have, have excess, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have excess Holy Spirit. Everything else in life, minus God, you can excess to the point of too much. Exercise, uh, dieting, eating, entertainment, too much. Here's the command. This is expectation. Expect it. He says this, be filled. Now, if you didn't know any better, you'd be like, okay, I don't even know how to do it, but it's a command. I'll go be filled. If you know better, though, his commands, his commandments are his enablements. He's telling you what I want you to do. Just like you know how to get more money, you know how to get more wine, you know how to get more power. You know how to do that. You just go do it, okay? What I want you to do is to be filled. And if God wants you to have something, expect it. Expect it. Make room, ask for it, expect it. Power, okay? Power. Lights coming on. Habits broken. Freedom. Newness. Wisdom. Fruit. Life in the spirit, okay? Not the borderline, wild-eyed, crazy stuff we see but the life that God has intended you to live for his glory. Would you stand with me? We are in overtime. If you need to go get your kids, let's they get sold on Craigslist. <laughs> go get them, bring them, take communion with them. But we, we are gonna make time to take communion and respond to Jesus by celebrating. When we take communion, it's not a religion, it's not a routine. It's what we do at the end of the service, uh, just about every single Sunday um, to put a smile on your face. The song should do it, but just put a smile on your face. That's what communion is. He did it for you. He bled for you. And when you come up here, you examine yourself, 1 Corinthians 11, you proclaim his death until he comes. It's communion. You're communing with him through his death, burial, and resurrection. It's just juice. It's just crackers. I think we get it at JC Market. They're pictures of the real deal. Pictures. Pictures of something that happened 2,000 years ago that changes our lives currently. So Father, in Jesus' name now, as we take communion, uh, we celebrate that you've done it all and we are just sheep. We are just sheep, the, the creation of your hand, the sheep of your hand, prone to wander, quick to quit. And uh, Lord, we now connect ourselves to the power source, the life giver. And Holy Spirit, we just, um, we love you and we ask you to be greater in our lives. It's not, there's no other way around it. We have made other ways, and we apologize. We repent. We've made other ways to deal with ourselves and with life. And I apologize. 
We want more of you in our lives to bear fruit, to endure, to shine like Stephen who was getting killed and yet looked like he was ready to serve. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would forgive us for grieving you in any area of our life where we've sinned and grieved you and brought grievance to you. We ask that you'd forgive us for quenching you in those areas we haven't done what you've asked us to do. You'd forgive us and you'd fill us. And just bless this family, this church, these gals, these guys, young and old. Bless us. May we move more like you and may the people around us sense it, feel it, and benefit from it. May there be more God in this town. From your Holy Spirit, Lord, we pray. We thank you, God, for your kindness to us. Bless us now as we come to the table. In Jesus' name.